0: I'm pleased to present our first episode of our two-part podcast, Reinventing Anna. The podcast host for this episode, Farah Damji, was recalled for poor behaviour to Fossenhole Prison shortly after this recording. This poor behaviour was based on Farah denouncing the poor conditions women in detention centres suffer, and how they're neglected by the prison staff and the justice system as a whole. The following audio was a hasty recording of what Farah wanted to include in this interview
1: been interviewing fallen socialite Anna Sarkin, better known as Anna Delvey, of Netflix's notorious Inventing Anna series was both a coup and a responsibility for the Views Rebel Justice podcast. Anna shocked New York high society when her elaborate ruse to set up an arts foundation fell apart, and details of her check-kiting hit society gossip column, page 6 of the New York Post, every discerning New Yorker's gossip go-to. The View believes that all women are capable of redemption. We steer clear of words like offender and fraudster, ex-con and criminal. We're all far bigger than the worst thing that we've ever done. We don't believe in the language of the Victorian deserving poor or coercive rehabilitation, but rather prefer to create an open space, give people a platform to recast their own narratives and retell their own stories. I'm Faradamji, one of the women who started The View almost three years ago and that mission has been at the heart of this podcast. Very many of you will be familiar with Anna Delvey's story as it was told by dozens of news outlets in millions of words, and of course, the Netflix series. But little has been said by Anna herself about her own experience, the trauma she went through and how she coped with it, and her art drawn from her training as a fashion illustrator. I wanted to approach her carefully, not to re-trigger trauma or pain, And it was important to me as the host to draw out the vulnerability that I sensed lay beyond the oversized designer sunglasses and the bejeweled GPS tag that she was forced to wear. I deliberately tried not to listen or read too much background, but I gleaned the sharp intellectual observations that she'd made about the justice system, about gender violence inflicted by the state, and about the constant feeling of being an immigrant or an outsider.
2: I've read some really interesting things that you've written about the experience of
3: women and, and kind of gender in prison. So
2: how would you describe it?
3: Uh, well, it was very frustrating in a sense that like you're always relying on somebody else to do things for you. It was just like very, like, it's just very infantilizing. It's like, you know, just jail takes away everything that, it takes away all your freedom. It's like, you know, if you want a book, there's no possible way for you to like get a book unless somebody will send it to you. Like there's just nothing you can do in the world. Like that will get it for you.
2: Yes. Your choices are just taken away. Aren't they? You're, you're kind of like the most basic choices of sleeping, eating, going to the toilet. Everything is just, is just taken away. It's extremely infantilizing. And I think much more so for women, I think it's it's a lot harder for women when you get out, life is madly crazy, hectic and like time just takes on all <laughs> all different like time in prison is so slow. Well, for me Anna, it was so slow. Like days would feel like months and then you come out and it's like suddenly you turn around, it's Friday again. I don't know if it's been like that for you. How long did you do? The longest sentence I did was 15 and a half months, which was an unlawful recall when they were cross with me for tweeting something about my probation officer. Um, I was pretty pissed off, for, But then I, I got out, the parole board let me out and told them that um, I was not a risk to society or anyone else and that I shouldn't have been recalled. And yours was what, two, And was yours four and a half years? So you did, how many? You did half of that? I got four to 12.
3: So the laws are different, like it varies from state to state. So my sentence was four to 12. My minimum would be uh, four years. My max would be 12. Assuming um, I would like for all the instructions and X, Y, Z, like I was let out on my merit, which was three years per months.
2: And also because of COVID, I think they were trying to let people out earlier as well there, weren't they?
3: Well, it's actually, it actually was really funny. Um, they did because they said if you are six months away from your release date, we would release you. But they did not release me. My release date was like beginning of February, and I wasn't obviously in violation of my immigration status. And ICE used to come see me all the time, so they kind of kept me in. When Biden took the office in uh, end of January twenty twenty one he imposed like a moratorium on all deportations and like, he tried to like make some changes. So beginning of February, they didn't really know what to do with me. So they just released me. They gave me uh, a day to report six weeks from my restate, which was like on March 23rd, originally they pushed it to 25th. And then once I went to report there, I guess they were were, like more clear on the rules and they decided like they were okay to deport me. So. I've been in the system for a very long time. It's like I've been there for like half a decade, pretty much. Yeah, like I got arrested like like uh, beginning of October 2017. I think I released in October 20, um, like this year. So it's like it's been five years, except for like six weeks I've been out last year. What were the challenges
2: besides the prison officers who are just universally useless? I think it's a job where people go into hopefully with good intentions, but they're just so squashed by the system that it's very hard for them to make any changes. But what what challenges did you have to overcome on a a daily basis? What did you find the hardest to deal with there?
3: What I found out um, is that people are just people in a way and everybody's like trying to figure it out. So like the most officers, especially like in prison, which was like in upstate New York and Albion, it's like, it was either Walmart or the prison. It's like, you know, it was not really like the, the top career choice. It was just like all, um, all the new really. And yeah, I think like the whole idea of prison where it's like supposed to be a punishment on you, but like in the end, the people who get punished is like your relatives and your friends who like have to pay for the calls they have to like put money in your account it's like you know you're not gonna say no to somebody who's in jail and who has like no way uh, of getting anything for themselves it's like you know there's just no way you can like get a job or anything like you know the most i've ever made in the state prison would be like ten dollars in two weeks <laughs> that was like oh god <laughs> yeah, it's like literally, it's impossible to be self-sustainable. Um, I know it's different in federal prison because they have like some kind of a different way of compensation. They actually have some way of like making more money, but in, in the state, it's not like that at all.
1: So Just what like were doing, you doing? What What
3: was your job in prison? I started off, they made me go to GED, well, they, they made me do like GD classes because they had to wait until they had to confirm that I actually graduated high school from Germany. So it took a couple of weeks. So I had to like attend that. And it's like, it's mandatory. It's, you have no choice but to attend those. So once they confirmed that I actually graduated high school, they put me in the mess hall. I hated it. It was bad. <laughs> I don't know. The mess hall is like where you like like, um, it's in the dining hall, right? You started off there like, and in the same way it goes to like any kitchen, you start off from like the very bottom, which would be, um, like the dishwashing. washing. So I was like, I asked them for like the yellow gloves. And I was like, I'm just not washing anything until like, unless you just give me the gloves. And like all this stuff. <laughs> it's like all this like heavy duty stuff, like the big pans. And I was just like, I was so slow and useless. And everybody was just like so annoyed with me. I'm like, this is really hard work. <laughs> like For some reason they transferred me like a week later to an actual class. So it's like, you know, uh, you have to take the culinary arts or like you have to like take a vocational training pretty much in order for them to like be able to say, it's like, oh, well now she has a skill, which is not her crime.
2: <laughs> so we might so, be seeing an Anna Delvey Michelin starred restaurant very soon. I hope.
3: Pretty much. Yes. It's like they give <laughs> And it's like, I picked the one with the most, um, waiting list because i felt like oh well they will never pick me because it's like (laughs) everybody wanted to be in culinary arts and there would be like cosmetics class and like welding like i don't know building maintenance or something something like that so and it's like they picked me like a week later and i was so disappointed
2: (laughs) so what did you Uh learn in this in this culinary class what what did they teach you i worked in the kitchen at drake hall and we did really basic things like shepherd's pie and lasagna. But then I, they discovered that I'm actually quite good at baking. So I used to bake pastries for the governor. He was, had a real sweet tooth. So It was always eclairs and choux pastry and stuff, which I loved. But yeah, there's not much variety in a prison menu. So what, what did they teach you in this culinary arts class?
3: so it's pretty much I mean I don't know I learned like a lot of actually like basic stuff how like to preserve food it would be the food safety Yeah, how long you're allowed to like keep something out in like the heating and like the cooling of stuff so that was actually really um, useful in a way it's like you know it's like you can use it in everyday life too it's like how long you can like preserve like I don't know olive oil with garlic in it and stuff and because I was a vegetarian I told them I would not be touching meat <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they put me like on a bakery, like a baker assistant position. So I was like baking cookies. It was really funny because we had like a little cafe, which would be open to like the officers uh, to the employees of the prison. So we we would like sell them the stuff that we would be making. Also civilians were like teaching like all these other classes, you know, the gas the welding, the building maintenance and stuff like that. So it would be catered to them. There were kind of like, I don't know, a few of them. So we would like cater to them. So it's like this one woman, she would be like on a keto diet. So we made like a a cauliflower pizza for her. (laughs) We we try to it healthy (laughs) yeah it's so funny the things you
2: remember that stay with i bet you can't look at a cauliflower in the same way anymore
3: yeah i'm trying like to like not project those experiences because it's like in a way it was bad but it was not like awful you know it's like i don't know i guess just like not being able to have control of your choices, like you know, it's like you have to do those things. So there's like just like if you don't, like they're gonna like lock you in in the room and like say you're like not in compliance. So that was frustrating. Just like not having control of your life. The experiences themselves, it's like like not everything is just so awful in there, you know. But, like there's just a lot of people who like made a mistake, and uh it's not like just the biggest murderers of the country, <laughs> like you
0: know. Anna was convicted in 2019 on multiple counts of grand larceny and theft of services. She was sentenced to 4 to 12 years in prison and credited with more than 500 days of time served while her case was pending, and she was then released on good behaviour in February 2021. Anna was picked up by immigration authorities just a few weeks later.
2: We said they were in Albion in upstate New York. Which prison was that? That was Albion, New York.
3: Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Al- oh, Albion. right. And is that, a, is that a female prison? Yeah, that's just female, yeah. Wendy's, which is males. I think like Harvey Weinstein was not too far away from me. But there are like so many uh, male prisons and there are only three female prisons in New York, which is Bedford, which is maximum Correctional Facility. Um, then there's Taconic, which is across the street from Bedford. And, um, which is minimum. And then, uh, Albion is maximum to medium. So
2: they kept you in maximum
3: to medium for your whole sentence. They kept me in medium. Yeah. Because the way they count it is like, if you have less than eight years until your earliest parole hearing, you are medium. So Mm -hmm. I was always medium like because my earliest parole hearing would be after three years, four months. Oh, I see. It's completely different.
2: Um, That's such a fascinating insight into how different the the US is from here. Because here, what we have very few, obviously, England's a much, much smaller country, but there's only 12 women's prisons, and they're all basically maximum security except two, which are open conditions where women can go out to work and uh, do education, stuff like that. What was the first thing you did when you left? prison
3: i was out i was actually outside for six weeks i mean they always knew i was in violation of my immigration status and it's like that's not a secret obviously like i overstayed my visa due to no fault of my own and i was like well yeah like we know you're in violation they came to see me like a couple of times then i guess two days before my scheduled release date they came and they were like oh well you're not a priority anymore because it was exactly after Biden took the office because my release date um, was scheduled for February 15th or something. And he took the office like end of January. So I guess he like put a moratorium for like any deportation. So I guess they did not know what to do with me. They just like, they're like, whatever, we're going to release you. And they just gave me like a day, six weeks away from then.
2: So then six weeks later, they came and arrested you and he went back into the immigration detention center. So, That's quite a different experience because when you're in prison, at least if you have an end date, you can kind of wrap your head around it. And there's an end goal and there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you can cross off your days and whatever else you do. But the immigration detention center, that, that whole situation where it's so precarious, where there's no end date, must have been psychologically quite difficult to manage. How did you handle that?
3: Yeah, so it was very difficult. I think it would be like the most, um, one of the most challenging ones of the kind of like psychological exercises that like I ever had ever. Because it's like, you know, with with criminal sentence, you have an end date while with immigration, you could like spend 10 years there. And like, there's no guarantee that you will ever be let out here, you know? It's not like, oh, well, sit in jail for like 18 months and then we're going to let you out that's not the way it works it's like I don't even like I think it's such a shame that America like equalizes immigration infractions to criminal misdeeds because you know it's like why like I already served my sentence I already have repeat my institution why am I in the same conditions as somebody who's like being accused of a crime
2: yeah it's terrible we've got the same problem here we've got the most absolutely revolting home secretary called Suella Braverman who's putting people, 4,000 people in a detention centre where there's meant to be 1,600. And literally, you know, they're actually sending bottles of messages over the wall to, to journalists and begging to be let out. And it's just such a huge embarrassment that these first world governments and first world countries are treating people who've fled places of war and famine and terror, and we're treating them like criminals. It's so shameful. It's just I'm so ashamed of the way that our government is behaving at the moment towards asylum seekers and migrants, because it's just horrific. You know, they put them, they've got scabies, they've got diphtheria, they've got the most awful diseases. These these people have left awful places, poverty-stricken places, to come here for respite and sanctuary, and we treat them worse than animals. It's just shameful. So what was the first thing that you did when you got out of the detention centre?
3: So this time around, it's like literally they had to drive me. So it's like they uh, picked me up from the jail and they they drove me to the 26th Federal Plaza, which is like the main ice hub. They fitted me for an ankle bracelet and I had like to um, wait for the guy to like who's specializing in ankle bracelets to come over, which was like on Friday, 11 p.m. And then because oh. since I was on house arrest, they drove me to the apartment. Like they would not even, they wouldn't even let the people who like were waiting for me downstairs to pick me up. Yeah. they Like I drove me to my apartment because I guess I couldn't be trusted to like make my own way there. I mean, whatever. It's just the conditions, so they were just following the conditions that judge and post. So it's like you know, it's a trickle down thing. It's just like they're just following in the rules. Like not everybody is just mm-hmm. so awful. But once I arrived, I mean, obviously a friend of mine, Chris, he had to like open the door, and then New York Times showed up, and like some German publications. we did like a little interview, and like I went to sleep. So <laughs> it was very late. It was like midnight, way past midnight.
2: You must have been exhausted. How do you feel about this um, ankle bracelet? Have they got one of these new GPS tracking ones on you?
3: I don't know, like, which generation of bracelet it is. It looks pretty bulky to me. Um, yes, but you've it up very nicely. It looks it looks nice now that you've decorated it. Yeah, well, those are the pins, but I like, very hard to, like, kind of maintain on a uh, long-term basis. So it's, like, I just, like, put them on for, like, shoes and stuff. So... I mean, it doesn't really bother me at all. It's pretty light. I like, I charge it every morning. There's like an external charging station and, um, um, I put on like this battery on top of it, just like, you know, this like a portable charger, pretty much. It's just like, I just Mm. put the battery on top of it and just like, I have to charge it for an hour and it's good for a day. And Mm. how long
2: does all this last? I know you're fighting your extradition back to Germany. So how long is this, is this going to last and what do you hope is the outcome?
3: Well, my immigration case is like being uh, transferred to like the non-docketed one. Because once you're in jail, um, you're like detained, you're on the detained docket. And like once you're out, you're non uh, non-detained one basically pretty much it's like it's going to move forward and like we'll see what it's going to bring so it's like i don't know it's like really not clear
2: <laughs> um, are you worried about the outcome you you don't want to come back to europe do you want to stay
3: i mean you've built a life in america i'd love to like sort out everything all my legal and immigration issues in the way that I would be able to travel anywhere in the world because you know like I've done what I've done, whatever. It's like i paid a restitution, i served my time. It's just not like, I don't think it warrants the type of the punishment where I should be banned from any single country for the rest of my life, you know?
2: No, that's a very sensible attitude to take, actually. I think, I think you're very sensible to deal with it that way so that you don't have those restrictions hanging over your head forever.
0: Thank you for listening to this two-part podcast, Reinventing Anna. Please stay tuned to our second episode. If you'd like to learn more about Anna's experience in art, as well as the bizarre phenomenon of sexomnia a diagnosis that's been used as a defense in rape cases, as well as how climate emergency affects women disproportionately around the world, go to www.theviewmag.org.uk where you'll find our latest autumn-winter 2022 edition of The View magazine. Thank you very much and see you next time.